Welcome to the Explore Words Discover World podcast, presented by Bradford Literature Festival. In this episode, we delve into the life and work of William Morris, the 19th century's most celebrated designer and a key figure in the arts and crafts movement. Renowned antiques dealer and TV personality Drew Pritchard and fashion designer Giles Deacon take us on a journey through the life and work of William Morris. Recorded live at the 2022 Bradford Literature Festival, this episode offers unique insights and perspective on this fascinating historical figure. Um, I'm Charles Deacon, um, very nice to meet everybody. I'm a fashion designer and Drew Richard here. Yeah, hello, hi, nice to meet you. I think everybody knows what I do. Do they? Yes, yeah. I'm a purveyor yeah. of sort of old <laughs> antiques and bits and bobs, or as we nickname it in the antique trades, we sell dead people stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, very glad to be here. Nice to be able to talk about one of my favourite subjects. Yeah, so we're, we're going to have a, um, a kind of a, a, an open conversation, I think is probably a good way of putting it, about um, William Morris. Yes. Yes. So, where should we start, Drew? Well, uh, I suppose it's. I suppose it's. There's a time when you. There was like pre-William Morris, for me, and then there was. Yeah. I was like, who's this guy? You know, I yeah. at 16 was very very fortunate to be to be taken on under a wonderful thing called the YTS. I don't know if any of you remember that the youth training scheme, and I started and I was on 14 pound 50 a week and. Then, but I started as a stained glass restorer and, and, and conservator and then became a stained glass designer and then selling it. And on day one, I was put in the van, uh, an old Ford Escort van, and we drove to the far side of Anglesey in North The same Wales. one that brought us here late. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and the, the building was being pulled down. And my wonderful boss, Gordon, said to me, all of these windows have to come out. And he gave me a two-minute lesson on how to take a piece of stained glass out. This is something I'd never done in my life before. Right. And I was presented with a whole row of William Morris and Morris and Company windows, which I knew nothing about. And something clicked. And yeah. I thought, what the hell is this? And it sent a shiver throughout me. And I just, I'm looking at these wonderful things. And, and what he, scale were they? What size were they, these? They were... They were um, a single um, transom, so a single piece. They were about four foot tall with a, a, um, a, a typical Gothic top. Yeah. So they were Morris and Co. and Morris. So Dated Morris, from when would these be? So these? Some of them were late 19th century, and then some of them were as late as 1920 and 30. Okay. So that would be Morris and Co., so after his death, but yeah. using original designs. Right. And I had to then start taking these pieces of glass out. No pressure. No pressure at all. And they left me there yeah. on my own to do this. And I started taking this glass out and I was handling it. And the demolition contractor was keeping it all for himself. So I literally took it outside and put it in the back of his Ford Cortina estate. And at the end of the day, he drove off with it all. And, and I was like, and I didn't really think too much about it. And then a week later, another piece came through. And we were constantly seeing work by this guy. And then there was a piece of glass behind the phone and the fax machine. And I wasn't allowed to touch the fax machine. I wasn't deemed qualified enough to touch the fax machine. And I kept looking at this glass thinking, I really love that piece of glass. I love it. I love it. And, and um, Gordon just said, oh, that's, that's Morris. Is it? Really? You know, not... So I was introduced to him as just a commodity. Right. It was just something I worked with. Yeah. But I was right next to it all day, every day. How phenomenal. Yeah. 
And and what do you think it was that got the uh, your, your 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 attraction and your interest so strongly? It what was, was it, it? Honestly, the first it was the sheer beauty. Yeah, it was the color. When you see glass, particularly lit correctly um, up close, you it just it, it struck me. I've I've been very fortunate in my life to to be around beautiful things for nearly my whole life, and I was just struck by the beauty and the colour, and it excited me mm. and scared me at the same time, bizarrely. I was a bit like, oh, my God, look at this thing. How do I deal with this? Um, and, then I, and then I decided I, I better read some books. I'd come out of school with no qualifications whatsoever. In fact, I was thrown out of school. And I was um, asked to leave, as they said. Um, and um, I thought, well, I need to read about this guy. I need to know about this guy. And I started to read, and, and, I, and I started to see tiny similarities between him and me and, and similarities between him and my father and similarities between the guys who were training me. And, yeah. And, and it just started to all make sense. Yeah. And then one day, years from that, they gave me a piece to restore and I had to take it apart and redraw a section that was missing. Uh-huh. And that's when it really clicked. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's really interesting, the impact that um, William Morris has had on, I'm sure, everybody here at some point in their lives. And there is a, a, um, a definite kind of, as you say, that sort of sense of, of pre and post. Yeah. Um, for me, it was um, um, at, at school. Um, I was lucky enough to be introduced to um, um, a, a, a family friend who had a, um, an embroidered panel mm. um, in their house, which was beautiful. It was a, a, had some gold thread on it. It was a little bit decayed, um, but it was a really... In, and I was just intrigued by it, um, from the colours, the technique, the, and it had this... Uh, you know, kind of a quality that it, you, you sort of slightly medieval quality to it, mm. and it, it just really drew me in. And I, I, I likewise kind of started doing some more intensive research on it, and then sort of left it a bit. And then it was when I started studying at St Martin's that I kind of really got into it a little bit more in depth and started looking at the the practice, the the history of all of the different processes, and. I was really fascinated by the um, the, the the pair of woodcuts mm. um, for the wallpapers and the more, that kind of decorative print side of everything, um, and um, and been lucky enough to um, do some work with the um, the William Morris Museum up in Walthamstow, mm. um, and they've they've been really open and, and very generous in in the access to lots of their archive, which has been really helpful, instrumental, and based. The collections upon it, and uh, not as literally as such, but uh, uh, starting points. And there was a collection that we did in um, 2012, where uh, I kind of liked the idea of um, Kelmscott being on fire. Yeah. And um, you you wake up there in the middle of the night. There's this house fire going on, and you've got to rescue some pieces, and what state they're in. And then they very and generously gave access to certain artworks, which we then redrew and used elements of and developed a whole print and artwork collection off the back of it. So they've been very super to work with in that way. Well, that goes back to that day when I had to redraw something, and that's when it really clicked with me. So I was, I was redrawing what's called a set of quarries. So it was a, you know, the, you know you'd see that background where he'd overlay the leaves yeah. constantly overlaying, and then he'd, he'd stand like the figures. Like a willow and bow type one. Yes, yeah. and then he'd do, um, uh, it was oak leaves generally on the earlier pieces that were overlaid. 
and then he put figures, sorry, then he overlay figures onto them. And there was a piece missing and I had to draw it. And it just, it, for a brief second, I was in his head. Because I, I, I drew a piece and then I drew another piece and then I drew another piece. And I thought, oh, well, that piece is going to go there. And it did. Yeah. And I thought, that's, you know, for that split second, I thought, yeah, I, I, in his head. And I got to another piece and he just put a line, a broken line across the center of all of this foliage. And it shocked me. And I thought, man's a genius. That's brilliant. And that was nothing to do where the repeat would be, was it? Oh. The, the design repeated underneath that. But what he'd done on a, something completely flat in the 19th century is give it depth. Yeah. And shadow, and it was just brilliant. And then glass choice and everything else. But I think but the, the boldness is quite extraordinary, isn't it? Because it, it must have been incredibly um, um, new in lots of ways to people see that kind of grand scale of artwork, mm. um, of it being very drawn. Because yeah. what, I guess what had been historically the, the kind of wallpapers. Well, they've um, done wallpapers. Before. His tapestries. I've, I've I've owned two of his of tapestries that they have as well. That they have as well. The, I found one on the back of a, a church that was being pulled down. And um, <laughs> I went to wash my hands and I, t I closed the door in the kitchen of this old um, Gothic Revival church and hanging on the back was a William Morris curtain. Being used as a hand towel. Being used as a hand <laughs> towel. And they'd been cutting bits of it off. So it was shaped like a step like that where they'd been cutting bits to dry their hands or clean paintbrushes and things like that. Yeah. You have to remember, this stuff at one time was worth nothing. Um, and you know, There wasn't always the, a fever around I'm, it. I'm not very knowledgeable on the, um, on the kind of uh, development of the, the, the kind of collectability as such within a, and its importance from a kind of collecting perspective. When did that really begin, do you think? It, it began, it was, there, it, there was a huge layer. Remember, he was doing something. He was trying to stop what was going on. We all know about him trying to... His, his actions were against this, the constant sort of cast mass iron mass production yeah. being turned out. But he then also got back into mass production, but he brought it back 200 years. And he took a lot of his influences, as you all know, from the medieval periods where yeah. you see a lot of the curtains from and the stained glass pieces from. But when, he re when it really started and people started to notice him was the 1980s. Right. Yes, okay. there was collectors before. Yeah. There was collectors yeah. before. But you were still able in the early 90s to pick things up for nothing. Wow. Really, really cheap. You know, beautiful cheap um, things. And then if you knew a little bit more, you could find extraordinary things. Yeah. What's, what's the, what, are there pieces out there that's like the holy grail of Morris that people are wanting to find or collect? Think, uh, for me, it's always the next one. Um, yeah. I, I've had three extraordinary Morris um, finds. Um, one was when he designed the Sussex chair or copied or got his inspiration from the Sussex chair. He writes that on some of the early models, Rossetti was drawing lines on. Who they met at Oxford, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. So they were, he was drawing little lines on, on the furniture. And I didn't give it any thought, but it lodged somewhere in my brain. And I'm going through a shipping container at an antique center in Berkshire somewhere. Right at the back, there's one of these chairs. And I pull it out and I can see the lines on it. And I thought, this is a really early one. And being touched, what date would that be? Um, that be... This was uh, just coming into the early 1880s. Yeah, right. Okay. And um, I just thought, this is an untouched thing. Master held this. This was maybe presented to him. Maybe they sat in a room looking at it going, I don't like the lines, I like the lines. Yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But that's that thing where you just go, wow. And it does send a shiver down your spine. 
And then very recently I was filming near here. And um, as the, we pulled up in the car outside this antique shop, and I just looked sideways, and the guy had a piece of stained glass in the window, and it's a piece of Morris stained glass. And it is that repeating oak leaf design, yeah. quarried section about so big, which I ended up buying, and I have it in my house now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the greatest find, I think, of all of them was on that day in 1986 when I took that stained glass out of that church, I then, at 23, um, so seven years later, uh, was made redundant by my wonderful boss who no fault of his own. So I had to go self-employed and I started off, I was, I was a, my first set of books say classic car dealer, stained glass restorer, <laughs> antique dealer. That's, that was my first set of books. I think I turned over about 15,000 pounds in a whole year. You know, I was doing nothing really. And I got a phone call from an antique dealer and he said, oh, Drew, you buy stained glass, don't you? This was about a year into my, um, uh, uh, business life and i said yeah yeah he said i've just got some from a house on anglesey i'll bring it over so an hour goes by and this ratty old ldv van turns up in my father's yard where i had my shed and he opens the back doors and it was the stained glass i took out in 1986 wow untouched in a big pile like this in the back of the van still with dirt on it still with bits of cement stuck to the lead on the side um with cracks and breaks um, with all the mistakes I'd made taking them out down yeah. the side. I would have been much more careful if I'd known. <laughs> and um, and, uh, and I, I stood there, and my apprentice, I had, had, I had an apprentice this time, Darren, who was really into it, behind me, and he went, Jesus, and I went, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and it, he recognised it yeah. straight away, because there's a few things he did in, in his class that you, you can always recognise. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I said to Steve, what do you want for this? And uh, He said, five grand. Well, I had three grand to my name. I didn't really have all that, you know. And I said, well, I'll give you 2,800 quid, and we settled on three grand. We pulled right. this stuff out. I still, hadn't, I still hadn't lifted the first piece off. Yeah. And it was all the glass from the church, as, along with other contemporaries, so from Shrigley and Hunt and, right. uh, uh, and, and people like that. So all of the greats of the, anti of the glass world were lying in the back of this van that I bought for three grand. And what's the restoration process like that? What, what, what do you start, where do you start? You start with, um, de well, now, detailed photographs, but we used to start with a rubbing. So we'd literally get a piece of old. We used to use um, lining paper from, uh, from wallpaper hanging. Mm. So we'd use that and had a great big block of chalk, and you just rubbed it all over so you had an accurate of what was there with its imperfections well, because sometimes the stone wasn't perfect. Yeah. So you'd have to get that imperfection in the leadwork back. Yeah, yeah, when you yeah, put it back together yeah. again. And um, you start with that. But these, these were um, largely untouched. And then I lifted the first piece off, and then I lifted the second piece off. And the third piece was what's called a quatrefoil. So it would, would have been above. So you have the two lancets like that of the windows. And then above them, there's a central piece that looks like a star, quatre. So it's got four, yeah. four points. And I could not I believe, I could not believe my eyes. And it's the most, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And it was, a, he did three of these. And it was a, a piece called Voyage to Vinland the Good. And it's a Viking ship crashing into the waves. And they're pulling back. All the Vikings are pulling back. And you can see the fear in their eyes. Right. And it's the most marvelous piece. It was only about that big. And I didn't, literally the hair standing. What hair I have is now standing up in the back of my neck. <laughs> and... Um, 
I looked at this thing and I just knew it was special. I knew enough by then to yeah. know it was special. And I then took it home and I had it propped in my kitchen window. Yeah. And I kept looking at it all night. Had a glass of wine. I'm stood there looking at this thing. Going, God, it's remarkable. What stuff. sort of colours are these pieces? I've seen they're some, very, but not... Yeah, they're very bright. Yeah, which is quite uncharacteristic for him uh, from a colour palette perspective, isn't it? Because they're always very kind of um, chalky colourways, all of the wallpapers, weren't they? And kind of natural minerals. And... Yeah, but also remember they've faded. Whereas the glass yeah. didn't tend to. When yeah. he did his first sets of glass, particularly, he couldn't get the faces right. He couldn't get the firing process correct. So he, a lot of the very early glass, the faces are yellow because he hasn't got the silver stain correct. Right. So you can recognize very early Morris glass. And that's for the brief period he did it himself. Yeah. Because he didn't do it himself all the way through. He then had a team. Yeah. So he brought in a team that worked. And these were done where? I think they were at Kelmscott in the outbuildings. Right. Buildings. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, um, he, so you can recognize that, and, and I have a section of one face still, which is a really early piece as well. And the scale of them being? Well, they could be everything from an east window. Yeah. So if you walk into a church, the, end, the window at the end, yeah. that is always the east window. Yeah. So he'd sometimes do full east windows, but, and then or sometimes he'd still just have one piece that he would do. In the, remember, he was quite an avant-garde choice. You'd gone from all the staid Victorian, you know, an angel, you know, um, with a dragon, with a sword, you know, to the glory of David Jones, local plaster. You know, they were, it was all about the glorification of the man, yeah. not the God. Yeah. Not God. Uh, where Morris sort of pulled that back. But he still had to have his benefactors who would commission the glass. Yeah, I was going to say, who would be the big um, sort of people commissioning him for these pieces? It, it, it would be um, uh, wealthy families yeah. or for deceased relatives. Um, or it would be and progressive thinkers, presumably. Very much time. so. Yeah. It was a brave choice to pick up. You know, you've had 50 to 70 years of mass production. Yeah. Right, have gone on, and then he's come and kicked back at it. Yeah. You know? So it was a brave choice to go for that. Remember, he was a very brief, it was a blip. He was a blip, but he, he, he resonated and still does, I think. Yeah. And, and what about the kind of political um, context of his choosing him? Well, I didn't get into that for, 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 for a long time, really, but then I sort of, the whole socialist ideals that he yeah. had was something that interested me, but not a lot, Yeah, being yeah, perfectly yeah. honest with you. I was more interested in his design process yeah. and looking at the beautiful objects. But also, he was a businessman. Well, totally, know? yeah. Not a very good businessman. It's like <laughs> me. I'm a terrible businessman, but I know something when I look nice when I look at it. And the, the Sussex chair, you know, saved them time and time right. again. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's yeah. what paid the bills. He was always going off on weird tangents, you know. But remember, he became, you know, a specialist in, in tapestries, in books, yeah, in carving, wood carving, yeah. you know, it, it, wallpaper. Yeah. You know, it Tiles goes so on. Much. Yeah, he worked with all sorts, with plates, yeah. crockery, and his design work, everything. Yeah. It went across, but he also had a very, you know, there's very, the early Morris stuff, interests me like early Pugin. Yeah. You know, it's utter purity of thought, total purity of thought, and that's rare. That's so rare. And what do you think the enduring legacy is and the reason for its continuing popularity? What would that be? For me, I think it feels accessible. Yeah. I think you can look at it and you don't have to be a great knowledgeable artist or art level or historian who've been taught anything. You can look at it and go, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, anybody can do that. So it's immediately accessible and you can enjoy it straight away. 
And then if you want to, you can step further into it and learn more. Yeah. And read and go and look at things and you can enjoy it. And it's still good. You know, not all Victoriana has, has worked. No. Has it really? I mean, you know, I, they ruined a lot for me. They did. I think it's interesting they that, did. you know, I, I think he did have the, 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 the kind of mindset of making art into product. Well, he, yeah, and he wanted to, everybody to have something beautiful. Absolutely. You know, have nothing yeah. in your houses that you do not know to be useful or useful. Yeah. They'll find to be useful. That really, on my first business card, I was so pompous. I put that on my first business card. What a, <laughs> what a prat. But I just, thought, I just thought, what a wonderful saying. He's nailed everything that I want in a sentence. And it worked. Yeah. You know, and for me now, when I'm working, putting interiors together with people or collections or just finding things that I like to sell, his stuff does that and it does it without shouting. And when clients are looking for um, these pieces, are they definitely, what, what worlds are they looking for within, within Morris? They, it, it, sometimes it can be a house that's inspired by Morris or just a room. Yeah. Sometimes they want to, what I call, slow a room down. When the room is being a little bit too clever, you can put a piece of Morris furniture in there or some wallpaper or a tapestry or something, and it will just slow everything down and calm you down and, 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 and make the room be less um, clever. So my mugs are doing that for me. Sorry? Sorry? My mugs are doing that for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's good. You can't take it too seriously, but here's an incredibly serious, as good as it gets design, yeah. right? That's instantly accessible and comfortable, and you feel you could put anything he made in your house, anything, and it, will, and it, and it, you, you'll, you, it can work wherever you put it. And that, there's very, very few things in the antique world that will do that. And the collector obsessives, what, what, what are oh, they God. looking for? <laughs> the I'm intrigued best. in the client aspect of this because I think it's really fascinating that there's, the, people have yeah. a shopping list of, of, of wannabe Morris items that they must have. I mean, the, you've touched the, on it the, briefly. But. Yeah, I always remember going into a, a guy's house and I had, I've, I've bought and sold 55 stained glass windows by Morris. And how many were there in total, do you think? There are hundreds. And there's two books called The Stained Glass of William Morris and His Circle. And they're two very, very thick books. They're about this thick each. And even the book's rare. Uh, I paid £400 for the pair of books 20-odd years ago. Right, OK. And I've since found... It's not definitive, though. Yeah. And I've found two pieces that aren't in the book. Um, but the collectors of them tend to be, A, either got in on the act early, when nobody really realised, you know, it wasn't so collectible. Yeah. Or extremely wealthy and know exactly what they want. I've got an American client, um, young, he's younger than me, not young anymore, living in London. And for the last 29 years, I've been selling him things. Okay. The first time I went to his flat, um, I walked in and um, uh, he had uh, a pile this high in the corner of Morris Fabrics just folded up on the floor. And I don't know if any of you have heard of, of some potters called the Martin Brothers. Anybody? And the, the Martin brothers were these incredible beardy, weirdy potters, right? Who made the most, you know, those, do you ever remember the big cigar jars they made that looked like a, a ho ho bird? Yeah. Remember, yeah, off, yeah. remember one yeah. being very famously found on um, the Antiques Roadshow, it's worth £20,000, right? I walked into this guy, and all along his kitchen, there was just a row <laughs> just going all the way around. And he just said to me, whatever you get that's Morris, Eugene, Martin brothers, I want it, and I want the earliest, and I want the biggest, and I want the best. And, but he really understood it, and he loved it. Yeah, yeah. But there's, there's lots of people. I, 
I don't think I've ever had a time when I haven't got something by Morris in my house. And my house is just a sort of uh, an ongoing... Well, I think there'd be an intervention if somebody came around, to be honest with you. There's too much, <laughs> there's too much stuff in there. Um, but I've always got something by him in there. And what about the wallpapers? The wallpapers, I've only ever... There's a, Do you find rolls and, no, or, 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 or sheets or however no, they'd be I wish. from those early periods? I, I wish. That would no. be a find. No, I've never found anything like that. I think I've had nearly all of the chairs now. Yeah. Nearly all of the chairs that, that, um, that were retailed. Uh, and as I said, over 55 windows I've bought and sold, and the last one I bought, I, I've got to keep. Because now they're getting extremely hard to find. To yeah. find one in the wild. <laughs> in the uh, wild. Is, 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 is unheard of. And it was a lot of money, you know, it wasn't cheap. Yeah. In fact, it's going to be on TV soon, so you'll see how much I paid for it. Right. Um, and it full, needs full restoration as well, which I'll, I, will, so I say I'm going to do it. If I get time, I will do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's, I find that the, the whole wallpaper conversation really fascinating because I, I wasn't aware until recently that um, he, his father, if I'm correct, had shares in a Devon um, mine hmm. that actually um, was one of the largest arsenic mines. Was it really? Um, in the country. That. There you go, um, a Morris fact. Contrary to his, um, his, his, his ethos of having um, kind of very safe materials on the whole, he was, he was printing with knowingly printing with arsenic. Well, and, and a lot of, the, I mean, still today, a lot of the traditional stained glass mothers, they're, they're highly toxic. Yeah. You know, they really are toxic. And, but you can, his method, sort of, we'd call it a 10-footer. So if you get up close to some of his glass, particularly, it's quite rough. You know, it's not fine. Right, yeah. But from 10 foot away, it starts to make sense. And are there drawings for, the, you know, the kind of yeah. practice drawings as such for the, these? The, and yeah, the they're, and what have you. they're they... called cartoons. I don't know right. if you use the same things. Yeah. And the, the cartoons are the black and white drawings you'll see of the full length. And the lead would be picked out as black lines. Uh -huh. there. So there will be some of those. I've owned one of those and a couple of preliminary sketches yeah. as well, which I would give my back teeth for now. Yeah. And, you know, I was broke and I was a, a young dad and I had to pay the bills, so they had to come and go. But I would recognise these things and the importance of them, and I'd sell, I think the last one I sold was £1,200. Right. One of those okay. a long time yeah. ago, and now I'd probably put a couple of zeros on the end of it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Extremely valuable. Extraordinary. And what else should we chat about within the world of, of well, Morris? Where's Morris, he? well, I, th I think it's the legacy now, and I think that he still remains relevant. Yeah. And I think he's still easily accessible. It's almost like a sort of gateway drug into the antique world. Yeah. You know, you can sort of come in there and enjoy a little bit of it, but almost no money. You know, yeah. you can just buy a poster or you can buy a postcard yeah. or a mug. Well, it doesn't matter. Because he always had to pay the bills. He was, you know, he was constantly trying to find the next thing that paid for the next adventure, be it yeah. Glass or, or Countercott Press, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. He was always trying to find money for that next thing. And, and also, it is out there. I was, we were talking on the way here that my world is like being in a field that gets ploughed every now and again, and a bit pops up. And I just have to be the guy that goes, hang on, I'll have that. And that's all it is. Yeah, you've got the luck of an eye for it. No, I've, I've never what? really been, been able to find any so far. <laughs> but it, it, that's all I do. Yeah, that's all true, I, yeah. I don't do anything else. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, we were going to use my car to come over here, but we couldn't because I've got chairs in the back of it. That's <laughs> true, isn't it? We couldn't, yeah, no, we, couldn't, we couldn't get over here because I was yeah. out till late last night buying chairs and lamps. Yeah. But it's also his place in the, the roster of time 
so from the 19th century through to, to now, the influence and his piece of it. You know, mm. Then you've got little offshoots like the aesthetic movement, which yeah. I find incredibly interesting. It's one of my favourite things. But would we, would we have had the aesthetic movement without that? Did he do anything in metalwork as such? Yes, he worked yeah. with John Hardman and company and did huge amounts in Birmingham. Right. He made a lot of stained glass windows. Yeah. He worked with Pugin, but he would work with them as well and he would make door handles and door furniture, window latches. He'd make design window frames. I mean, it went all the way through. He wasn't as prolific as Pugin, where Pugin would design anything, every last yeah. nut and bolt. Um, but Morris was a bit loose. I always think, I always feel like he's a bit of a hippie. Yeah, you know, like you don't get the sense of like an, um, a, 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 you know, kind of very, you know, kind of like from an archival perspective that he was collecting that in a very methodical manner. Did, were records kept of everything that was made and when and where and materials and of kind of not that I've seen. I haven't seen. I haven't such. seen any of those. I've seen some of the pamphlets that the, the kind of sales books. Yeah, well, you see, you'll see the the, the press pamphlets. Yeah, well. you'll see a lot of that that comes out particularly with sort of his socialist speeches as well yeah. that would be were put through his, his press. Um, but examples of, I've got a friend of mine, Simon, who's a book dealer over in Norfolk, and he's had quite a lot of his stuff mm-hmm. as well. But because I'm focused on the sort of the decorative arts side yeah. of things and the furniture, that's what I'm looking for. Really. But yeah. if it came past my door, I'd happily buy it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, any questions of um, thoughts of... Morris Worlds that are, that, are, that are flying around or thoughts or conversations to start with. Did, that, a... did any of that make sense to anybody? <laughs> did you, was that all right? You've got a clue, there you go. Um, you talked about some of the toxic materials he used, but how do you handle that when you're restoring pieces? Um, <laughs> in 1986 on the YTS, badly. <laughs> um, I was told when we were doing acid etching, believe it or not, I was told to put my hand over my mouth. While I was doing acid etching on glass, it does explain a lot. <laughs> I think I went bold because all my front hair fell out because I had I was covered in lead, and I won't tell you exactly what they said. I had a two-minute lesson on lead, which they said if you're handling lead, imagine you've got dog on your hands. Right. Okay. Treat it like that. So never put your hands towards your mouth and your head. Yeah. But after a couple of years, you like you know brushing your hair. <laughs> you, you know you're eating your sandwiches and you're not eating the bit you're holding and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I eventually got yeah. quite bad lead poisoning that's oh why i stopped being a restorer because i got i yeah. got very 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 high uh lead levels in my stream so yeah i got to well something odd happened a long time ago i um somebody asked me my name and i forgot my name <laughs> and uh, and i uh, went to the doctor because i thought oh my god what's this and then they did all the tests and they said your blood level lead level is massive what do you do for a living yeah yeah so no it wasn't handled very well Health and safety wasn't handled very well. Back then, maybe because of the ventilation in the older buildings, I'd like to think it was handled better than this. But I really, really don't know. But in North Wales in 1986, health and safety was not a factor at all. So any other questions about Morris or antiques or anything? There you go, somebody at the back there. How much of what he did do you think he designed himself rather than it being collaborative? Because he had a number of people around him, didn't he, who were all very... Uh, artistic and talking about stained glass there was Burne Jones as well at the time wasn't there did they sort of interact and did he also bring things make things that other people had designed as far as I know no their interaction his interaction with Burne Jones was the most work I've seen by Morris with somebody else's Burne Jones with glass nearly all of it was was a collaboration 
nearly every piece that they they produced. Um, and who doing what in the relationship? It was both design. Okay. Both design, both mixing design. But I do think that Morris would be handling the backgrounds and the quarries and the overall yeah, feel the, and the colour. And I think Burne Jones would have been handling the figurative element of it. I think the people. Yeah. I think that's what so they'd that have done. Sense. Yeah. And then when they were produced, when glass was produced, when they were producing it, and it hasn't changed now, they would have their best painter. And their best painter would do the hands and faces. And then the secondary painter would do the cloth. And then, they, then the, the junior would do the quarries at the background, so the repeating leaves. And Morris used to do this thing where the inner borders of, of the glass, there'd be a little tiny inner border, and he'd used flashed glass, so a, a ruby red or a blue glass that has clear glass with coloured glass flashed at very high temperature across the surface. And they would etch out a sort of like a, a snaky pattern all the way down with an interspersed dot. And that's one of the ways you can recognise his work. It's been copied, but the earlier work particularly, you can, you can see that. As um, his own hand. As his own hand, yeah. yeah. So I've been, you can tell Morris's own hand because he was always the first to try something. Right. He was always the first guy, with the press particularly, he was the first guy to sort of just physically get there and start making the blocks yeah. and cuttings. So that, that's, the, that's where the interest, the first of anything is always the interest. You can actually see the hand very recognisably. It's it, it's one of those rare things in life where you can there's a design genius where and you can touch something that he's touched, you know, and that still excites me. Whenever I have handled something, they say Pugin, who's just a, a genius again. I think there's been a few of them, but he's one of them. Um, there's a magic to it, yeah, and and it comes back to that purity of thought and that purity of design where that was their focus. You know, we, you we, we've embellished the whole thing as arts and crafts, yeah. which is a very nice way of sort of putting it all together, but it's more than that. How do you think he would have embraced technology? I, I, From a creative perspective? I think he'd have thrown it out the window, I think. I think that, I think that went very far away. Yeah. He was all about getting back to simple methods, straightforward yeah. methods. And if you're making something on a daily basis, what I particularly love in the antiques world is if I find anything, that you can see a chair or a table or a light or something or a, a, a vase that's been made by somebody. So at 12 years old, they were put into a factory or a workshop and they're producing something. And then 30 years later, they're still producing that thing. But there's nuances to it. And there's mm. an art, and that's where the art comes in. Yeah. And they probably don't realize that the you magic, know, the magic isn't and p certain things have that magic. And that, for me, it, I've slightly lost my trap here, but they. When you see that thing and you learn to recognize that, the whole world opens up. And for me, Morris did that. Yeah. Because it, I was sort of blinkered and I wanted to know about things but didn't know how. And then as soon as I'd learned about Morris, you learn about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the it's next thing. It's that accessibility thing. again, isn't it? Yeah. It's really very welcoming. It's reading a book is probably about the best thing you can possibly. I just realised I'm a literary festival, aren't we? But it's um, <laughs> it's um, reading a book for me. I went through school. I learned nothing. I, I learned skiving off and and buying and selling dinner tickets, dinner tickets, and Doctor Martins. That's what I learned. <laughs> and reading a book for me opened up my very empty head of thing. I had nothing in there, and it just sticks. And then when if you keep on reading and keep on looking and keep on handling things by the greats the world suddenly becomes a much, much bigger place. 
and you can walk into a city and read a city and read a building and read a church interior and read an antique and look at things and, and, and understand how it was made and why it was made. And what Morris did with that was almost overlay everything he made with the honesty of how it was produced on top. And that's exactly what he was after. And mm. it's exactly what he did. Yeah. Brilliantly simple. Wonderful. I feel like I've gone on too much now. <laughs> Hello. One here. Um, yeah, I just wondered, did his wife ever design? Jane. Yeah. As far as I know, yes. Yes, she, she did. Yeah. She worked with him on, uh, on quite a number of the tapestries, I think, didn't she? And, and on some of the wallpapers. Yeah. Yeah. But as ever, you know, she was... They weren't pushed to the back, but there was 18th and 19th century ladies working in the arts world were still very much on the back foot, you know? Um, There's some quite good documentation in Walthamstow, photographically, of the teams who worked on pieces um, that you can get, you can find them online. Hmm. There's photographs of the workshops, yeah, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and with the actual piece, with teams of, I think they generally worked between teams of like four and six, I suppose, with different techniques, of, mm. especially with the tapestries, who would be working on what aspect of it, a bit like the, 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 the stained glasses. And yes, there would have been a team. Every man would have had his job. So there would be one man who did the cartoons, one man who did the lead cutting, one man who did the glass cutting. One guy did the glass choice, but that came down to Morris. But the, the female factor in the antiques world is it's there there's a i don't know if any of you've heard of code stone made by a lady called eleanor code in the 18th century came up with uh, the still the best terracotta procedure there's ever been and her stuff is incredibly highly prized and she was uh, a georgian businesswoman and she left 80 percent of her wealth for girls schools to be built in the 18th century and 20 percent for boys to be she was really a real leader for her. in this. So I think Jane's place in the Morris sort of needs to be investigated more. Right, I'd like to know. Yeah, thanks. Hello, both of you. Um, I just wondered, Drew, uh, with your background in restoration of stained glass, etc., uh, have you designed any windows or anything that somebody's going to be collecting in hundreds of years from now yourself? <laughs> um, unlikely. <laughs> Unlikely. I was an enthusiastic amateur, I think. It's probably, well, no, I was a professional in it. I have done, we, I did two church commissions, so they're the ones that really, really last. Um, but strangely... Where can we see these, please? Sorry? Where can we see these? They're in a church in Denby in North Wales, and there's two of them in there that, that we designed. And honestly, I, I, I look at them now and cringe. I think I could have done so much. <laughs> I think I could have done so much better. But recently... I don't know if anybody saw a programme I've done recently with Johnny Vegas. I don't know if anybody saw that one. Did you see the piece of stained glass by me we found in an antique shop being sold as a Victorian original? I was like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that is not. I made that in Glen Conway in 1994. So no, that, is, that definitely isn't. But it's with, with, with uh, I don't know, particularly with, if you copy something and, and it's the best way to learn. And you get better by copying. You know, what was that saying about artists? What is it? Um, good artists copy and great artists steal. And I, I, think, uh, I think if you just, that for me, drawing, that day drawing things out by him and understanding for that brief second being in his head, that, that was in one of those light bulb moments. Yeah, he had the most extraordinary hand, I think. The, yeah. the kind of the, the rhythm and the, the, the fluidity of the paintwork is mm. extraordinary, which yeah. you could then translate into the woodcuts is you know it's, mm. a, it's a it's a huge skill to be able to do that 
you know, you, incredibly time-consuming. Yeah. I mean, I've been going on for ages. We need to talk about your side, the, 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 where it comes into the fashion side of things with you. Yeah, does I mean, it? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, that, as I discussed earlier, just the, from an inspiration perspective, it's 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 elements of the ethos of the, of the whole a whole world of that really kind of got me hooked, and that way in which that you can um, develop your world from an illustrative perspective, drawing textile designs, um, getting those produced, prints, all of that aspect from like a, a one man shop, so to speak, mm. something that that really really excited me still does yeah and it, you know it was his you know kind of ethos of that that very much got me into the, the world of where i am now mm. we've spoken about because we spoke to each other before we came here was it last week or the week before about we're not scholars of man you know if you say right in april the 12th 1875 yeah. what was he doing what did he have for lunch we don't know that all we can say to you is that the effect it's had on on you and i uh separately in our both in our businesses and is is massive and it's ongoing and and i i do hope that it it continues to be for everybody that sees it and touches it and is touched by the you know the, frankly i'm going to use the word again genius of it the simplistic genius mm. of just working really really hard yeah you know yeah. you're a real grafter and if you work really hard at something eventually you're going to get there but you also had that's something else yeah, that idiosyncrasy, idiosyncrasy with everything, I think, is, is, is so fascinating to me. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, but um, scholars we are not, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think... Uh, enthusiasts. Enthusiasts <laughs> of him, for sure. And I think everything I get by Morris in the future, I'll be keeping. Yes, yeah. that's a yeah. good plan. That's for sure. And I have a real to getting prop. a piece. Yeah, I have a real... <laughs> I'll find you some. Uh, I'll send you some. It, uh, it has... Um, I have a real problem keeping things. I really struggle to keep hold of things. Um, if it stays in my house for more than a week, right. it's staying for good. Generally. <laughs> so, yeah. Does everyone know about St. Martin on the Hill in Scarborough? I don't. The, there's William Morris stained windows. You can have a personal tour all the way around the church. I will do that next time I'm in Scarborough. St. Martin on the Hill in Scarborough, and it has a tea room. Oh, well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm in. T and I, we always say, you know... Scarbados, here we come. Yeah, <laughs> Scarbados. <laughs> uh, anywhere that's got a tea room and sells cakes, I'm in. Seriously. Um, it, Thanks it for worked. the top tip there. Yeah, definitely. But he was, they were so prolific with their work. You know, they didn't just produce six or seven. They produced hundreds, if not thousands of pieces that are still out there. And you can wonder, in Llandidno, there's, there's three churches that have still got... And they've all got independent pieces. They all commissioned pieces by him. Wow. And then in yeah. the next town, De Gamway to Llandidno, there's another one. And then in, down in Bethsacoid, I remember going to Bethsacoid Church and I walked in um, to value some pieces in the church. And, and, uh, and I went, oh, nice Morris window. And they went, what? I said, well, your east window, it's by William Morris. Is it? You know, and a very rapid revaluation for insurance <laughs> was done. Extremely I'm rapid. Sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. But it's everywhere, and it's in, you know, and I, I like to think he's still having an effect. Is he still having an effect? Absolutely, is yeah, one hundred percent he is. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Well, you're all obviously keen, you know, on the man himself. So, uh, and there's so many. I think if you if you've got if you can see something in that, you can see something in Pugin, and and then um, the much maligned, I think, and ruined Rennie McIntosh. I think was yeah. an absolute yeah. another one of absolute clarity of thought genius you know if we i've handled i actually bought a piece by him once 
and it cost a fortune and I didn't really have the money for it. I did. I remember not eating. I bought a bench um, by Macintosh and I remember not having enough money to eat. Just one night, but that was that one <laughs> night, but I had this piece. Um, and then and, you sold it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Under <laughs> um, a week. Yeah. And uh, the, you know, Rennie Macintosh has been, I, I call it, he's been ruined by the car sticker. You know, the little stained glass car sticker of the tea room glass. You know, he's been ruined by that. But I think there's Morris, I think, and I'd love to have sat them down all in a room together and mm. chatted, you know, with Pugin and Morris and, 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 and Macintosh. And, you know, and all of these guys, it was that, again, it just comes back down to total purity of yeah. thought and drive and a, and, a, and a genius mind. But there's something in there. And that's what I, I'm always looking for. I'm just in praise of all these geniuses that are around me, which I'm able to handle their things occasionally. So I, I truly adore his work. And um, it's interesting you saying, going back to the sex and drugs aspect, yeah. um, is that I've often thought, I wonder how much fun he was, because I don't know whether he really was that much fun. Well, I don't, I don't know. I <laughs> do had to do it. I did an interview recently for... Um, it seems terribly uh, serious. Yeah, Maybe, it doesn't. I don't, I don't think they were all yeah, the no, time. They can't no. have been, but it's... Yeah. No, and... Uh, They'd, I did an interview recently, and the question was, one of the questions was, who would be your perfect dinner party guests? And I said, uh, uh, John Lydon from the Sex Pistols, my grandmother, uh, William Morris and PJ Harvey. And I think that would be, yeah, for me, I just want to throw all those people together yeah. and see what happens. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think they would have been great fun. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. Well, um, I think we're wrapping up nearly here, aren't we, Alison? So um, thank you very much for coming and listening to us um, chatter away about um, the wonderful Mr. William Morris. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.